<clears throat> Christ is the foundation of the church, the body of Christ. As we interact with a portion of scripture from Mark chapter 5 this morning, I have some questions, just thought questions. How powerful is Satan and his demons in terms of physical strength? How powerful is Satan and his demons in terms of physical strength? Who is the only one who can subdue demons? What is the response of people who see and hear of Christ's awesome power over demons? What are some of the characteristics of demonic possession or demonic activity? Let's read together Mark 5, 1 through 20. <clears throat> Mark 5, <clears throat> 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of Genesis, where Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people again began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting ready, or getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how great, or how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. As we look at this portion of scripture, Mark 5 from a, full, from a Jewish perspective is full of uncleanness. We're in a Gentile area. 
Hellenistic culture, Hellenistic ideas. We're dealing with a man who lived in the tombs. That would be unclean according to the Mosaic law. A failure to purify oneself from the dead was to be cut off according to Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, Numbers 19. And here's a man living among the dead. We're dealing with swine herders. According to Leviticus 7 or 11 and Deuteronomy 14, pigs were unclean in light of the Jews. Thus Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in an unclean Gentile territory. And here's Jesus, a Jew, the Son of God, dealing with a man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in an unclean territory in light of Jewish mindset. But Jesus is there. James Edwards in his commentary on Mark says, and I quote, Mark's narrative framework implies that demonic powers are intent on prohibiting Jesus from entering this region. First, the demonic nature of the storm in chapter 4 on the lake nearly capsized the boat. Now a demon-possessed man powerful enough to break irons hurls himself at Jesus and the disciples. This is a place where no one would want to go for any reason. Contrary to all reason and expectation, however, Jesus goes there. He penetrates both the ritual wall of uncleanness and the formidable reputation of the demoniac. For once, however, the explosive terror of the demoniac does not prevail. For rather than falling on Jesus, he falls on his knees, shouted at the top of his voice, swear to God that you won't torture me. The Greek verb for fall on his knees denotes prostrating oneself before a person to whom reverence or worship is due, even kissing his feet or the hem of his garment. When the demoniac met, meets divine, it is a new contest event. End of quote. The text makes it very clear that the demoniac is coming to meet Jesus in verse 2. When Jesus get out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And in verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And apparently in that context, according to verse 8, Jesus had commanded, come out of this man, you evil spirit. What is the response of the demoniac? Notice in verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice. And I'm not going to try to shout. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now keep in mind 
that when someone uses another person's name, as we found in Mark chapter 1, when he says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, it's conveying a degree of control over. I don't know how many times when our kids were younger, we would say, Danny Von Brubaker, I meant you better listen, I'm in control, I'm in authority. Jason, Law Brubaker, better listen, you know, I'm authority. Christopher Lon Brubaker, better listen, I'm authority. I didn't mention Beth's name because she was an angel. <laughs> I'm kidding. <clears throat> but we were implying authority. Listen, I'm the one in charge here. So here's the demonic act, demonic man saying, son of the most high, God. And notice what else he says. It says, swear to God that you won't torture me. It's a curious mixture of employing and pleading. On one hand, swear to God. Sounds like an exorcism formula. But the plead, please don't torture me. You know, kind of a mixture. And then he says, What do you want to do with me? In relation to the demonic act, demonic's response to Jesus, <clears throat> when he uses Most High God, Most High God in Judaism is a term emphasizing the transcendence and <clears throat> the exaltation of God, Israel's God. In Gentile territory, the strength of God is demonstrated by vanquishing a legion of demons. And they go into a herd of swine. So the reference to the Son of the Most High God, rather than the Son of God, is typical of Gentile polytheism, designating Jesus as the Son of the one true God. Son of the Most High God establishes, establishes the uniqueness of Jesus and his position in relation to God Almighty. So here we find the demonic, act, demonic man recognizing Jesus for who he is, Son of the Most High God. Seems a time with James chapter 2 where demons recognize God, they recognize Christ and who they are. What is Jesus' response in verse 9? Jesus asked him, what is your name? Jesus is asking the man possessed by demon, what is your name? And it's interesting that Jesus uses as a question. It's been true of Jesus throughout Mark. He asks questions over and over again. It's characteristic of God beginning with Genesis 3. God asks questions. Notice how the demonic act or demonic man had responded. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. And what does Jesus say? What is your name? The demonic man recognized Jesus as the Son of the Most High God. So Jesus says, what is your name? And the response is, my name is Legion. Legion. A Roman 
legion consisted of 6,000 foot soldiers, 120 horsemen, and technical support, an image of strength, an organization. And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now go back to what is stated earlier in the text in verse 3. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. We're dealing with a man with great physical strength. <coughs> My name is Legion, for we are many. And then in verse 10, and he begged Jesus again and again. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Already submitting to Christ, authority, they knew what was coming apparently. <clears throat> we could see the handwriting on the wall. <clears throat> so they beg, send us among the pigs. And we know that, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus grants that permission. What happens to the pigs? The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. <clears throat> and again, if you go to this area where the healing of the demoniac man took place, you would find there a place where it can run down a hill and fall into the lake. I want you to notice what else is taking place here. Those tending the pigs run off and report this into the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus in verse 15, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. He's sitting, he's dressed, and in his right mind. Go back to verse 3. Before the legion of demons left, this man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the arms on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. He had a lifestyle of running, breaking chains, <clears throat> cutting himself. And what's he doing now? He's sitting. He's dressed. Apparently, he had been naked. He's dressed. And he's in his right mind. <clears throat> he's not cutting himself. He's not running among the tombs. He's sitting dressed and in his right mind. A completed work 
of Christ at a point in time. <clears throat> it didn't take days. It didn't take weeks or months. The demons are released. He's sitting in his right mind and dressed. I want you to notice also something about the pigs. Notice in verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. I don't know if you ever watch pigs. I grew up with pigs. Dad had pigs. They root through the manure. They root through the ground. And they're quite contented. They just go from one place to another. You get into trouble when you try to chase them because they're stubborn, hungry creatures. But the herd of pigs is feeding on a nearby hillside. <clears throat> what happens? <coughs> Verse 12. <clears throat> the demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. What happens? The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Contentedly feeding, the demons are released to go into them. They rush down the bank into the lake and they're drowned. The man was running around the tombs. No one could subdue him. He would cut himself. He would cry out. He's now seated in his right mind, dressed. The pigs run down the slope into the lake and are drowned. It's an interesting contrast as far as the demonic activity that is present. Notice in verse 14 that those keeping the pigs ran off. They reported it in town, in the countryside. And people went out to see what happens. And notice what the people did. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting, dressed and in his right mind. They saw. They knew who the guy was. Apparently, it was known throughout the countryside and in town. Here's a guy. He's lost it. He's not in his right mind. He runs around naked. He cuts himself. No one can bind him. He's in the tombs. They saw him. And what is their response? They were afraid. They're terrified. The same word is used, terrified, in verse 41 of chapter 4. It means a reverential fear, an apprehension. Why such a response? The text seems to communicate they're dealing with something far beyond human ability. Here's a guy that no one could bind. They tried to put him in chains, and what would he do? He would break the chains. He's out of his mind. 
He's not in his right mind. Apparently running around without clothes in the tombs, he's cutting himself. They don't know what to do with it. There's fear. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. They see the man, they're fearful, and then someone comes along, those that saw what happened, told the people that came out, you know, this guy's demon-possessed. The pigs ran down the slope. They were all drowned. In verse 17, what was the response of the people then? <clears throat> then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you around. You will find as you study the Gospels that many times when Jesus performs a miracle, people don't know how to respond to that. There's fear. There's apprehension. They're saying, get out of here. We don't want you around. What is the point of this passage? <clears throat> I believe the point of the passage is to communicate that Jesus has power, authority over evil spirits. He is who Mark claims he is <clears throat> in chapter 1, 1 through 15. We're dealing with a man that not only can heal people, <clears throat> who teaches with authority, who can calm a storm, but one who can cast out a legion of demons. Remember Ruth Ann telling me <clears throat> when she was in nurse's training going to a state hospital, <clears throat> excuse me, seeing their people who we would say are out of their minds, locked in a room, naked, <clears throat> we would say crazy. And their food would be put into them. Tremendous strength. Couldn't be constrained, so you lock them in a room. Imagine the nurse coming on duty the next morning, seeing that man or woman outside their room, sitting, dressed in their right mind, having a conversation with someone. That's what Jesus did. He is who he claims to be. He is who Mark claims he is. He can cast out a legion of demons. And think about the encouragement that this would bring to the Roman believers. Those in Rome are reading this passage, or they hear this passage, and they think, some of us are dying for our faith. we're willing to keep dying because the one we follow is Jesus who can cast out a legion of demons. We'll continue to follow him. Some applications as we wrap it up. As believers in Christ, we don't need to fear demons since the one who is victorious over demons is our life. Take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. 
Paul in the context of Colossians 1 and 2 is, well, the whole book, but explaining that Christ is the foundation. He's the creator. He's the firstborn from among the dead and so on. And in chapter 2, he continues explaining what Christ has done. Notice what is stated in verse 15. Colossians 2 and verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Christ disarmed the powers and authorities, referring to the spirit world, triumphing over them by the cross. Sometimes we look around us and we think the enemy is at work. We don't have to fear him. He's been defeated. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. In the context of Christ being better than Moses, Aaron, the prophets, and so on, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Christ, too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Satan has been defeated through Christ. And the one who has defeated Christ, we won't turn to this passage, but in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, says that he's our life. So we don't need to fear because Christ is our life. Another application should we stop and consider whether demonic activity may be present in certain situations? And I say, note the following in Mark 5, physical strength beyond the norm. Is it possible demonic activity is present and there's physical strength beyond the norm? Where there is activity, a person just seems to go, go, go. You know, this man apparently roamed the tombs, cutting himself. Where there's injury of self, and where someone cries out, where there's isolation, wanting to be alone, leave me alone, and don't want to interact with people. Where there is nakedness, and where someone might not be in their right mind, what we would say, out of their mind. I don't have a dogmatic answer for this this morning. Is it possible that the, there may be more demonic activity in our world today than we care to admit? And we're treating something in a way rather than through Christ. Is it possible that one of those individuals that Ruth Ann would have seen in the state hospital may be possessed by a demon? Do 
not saying one way or the other, but <clears throat> food for thought. Are we trying at times to treat demonic activity <clears throat> with drugs or counseling rather than Christ? I'm not saying drugs are wrong or counseling is wrong. That's not my point. <clears throat> I want you to think about that. Jesus <clears throat> cast out demons. <clears throat> In this case, the legion of demons. And healing took place. What role do demons play in some modern-day situations? I'm posing a question I'm not answering. A team with great strength. Not saying plays any role. I just want you to think about it. How about ADD and ADHD? Many emotional problems for which we love use drugs. A schizophrenic. I'm not saying demonic activity is present. I want us to think about it, though. At least consider it, because there are some common characteristics at times. And in light of having said that, I need to encourage you, meditate upon the power of Christ. This power is at work in us daily as we are in, at work in us daily as we face life. Whatever your conclusion or even whatever direction you go with demonic activity, the power of Christ, the one who cast out a legion of demons, who gave them permission to go into the swine, is the one who is at work in the believer in Jesus Christ, the one who raised Christ from the dead, exhorted in the right hand, that power is also at work in us. God, through Christ, is at work in us with a power that is beyond what we can ask or imagine. And as we think about Mark chapter 5 and the power displayed by Christ, we think about demonic activity. Christ is at work in us. Live in light of that. Respond in light of that. We don't need to live in fear because Christ is our life. We may see things that we think involve demonic activity. We can live with confidence because Christ is greater than. And if you think there's something in life that you've come across that may involve in demonic activity in some way, we challenge you to stop and think. Does Christ want to use me in some way to minister to that person? And how? Christ is our life. And whatever we face in daily life, he is at work in us. And he wants to use us to minister to others. And please don't assume that I'm drawing a conclusion that demonic activity is involved in <clears throat> all of those items that may have been mentioned. I just want us to think about something. You know, is it possible? 
not saying it's true or not. As we go on in the Gospel of Mark and <clears throat> look at some parallel passages, we'll continue to see some common characteristics. But in the midst of it all, Christ is at work. Let's sing about him. That is, sing about Christ. Hymn 68.